All right, let's turn to Genesis chapter 25 tonight. Genesis chapter 25. We're going to begin reading in verse 29 of Genesis 25. Genesis chapter 25 and verse 29. And the scripture says, And Jacob sod pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with the same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think if you were to talk with Esau a year later, that he would identify what he did as despising his birthright? I would say more than likely not. For those of us who are saved, we happen to be children of the king. We belong to the Lord for every one of us who are saved. Now, having said that, you understand being a joint heir with Jesus Christ, as the scripture says, and I'll cover those verses in a few moments, lays upon us a responsibility. And the sad truth is, I do not believe that we treat our spiritual birthright with any more respect than what Esau did his family birthright. Most of us think like this. It's my life. I can do with it what I want, and it shouldn't matter to anybody else. If you look over in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 16, what took place in Genesis chapter 25 is not just mentioned there. It's also mentioned in 1 Chronicles chapter 5. It's mentioned a couple of other places as well. And here in Hebrews Chapter 12 and verse 16, the scripture says, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. What he did had consequences. I can remember back when I pastored in Manchester, Tennessee, and Brother Stark's brother-in-law, Randy King, would drop his children off at our school every day. And when I would be out there welcoming the students as they would come, I always said to them when they were getting out of the car, remember your king's kids. And for Randy, of course, that had a dual meaning, the king's kids in that that was his name, and they were king's kids because they belonged to the Lord. It is absolutely amazing how we treat our testimony. The things that we do and we give absolutely no thought to any impact that it'll have upon our testimony. Now, when it comes to this matter of the birthright, Zondervan's pictorial uh, encyclopedia of the Bible defines it this way. 
The ancient custom was that the family name and the titles passed through the line of the eldest son. The birthright was more than a title to the family inheritance. It was a spiritual position. In the spiritual sense with Esau, his position with the spiritual promises to Israel, because of how he treated his birthright, obviously had effects on many in his day, after his day, and even today, which is why, of course, it's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 12. He missed out because he despised his birthright. What do you mean despise it? Oh, I don't mean that he may have said anything ugly about it. He just didn't esteem it very high. It was something that he could play with. It was something that, hey, I want to fill my belly. And if it means just giving it to my brother, hey, it's going to be a long time before I can cash in on this thing anyway. And he was willing to give it up. Now, he was still the son of Isaac. That didn't change. But he missed out on many of its benefits. The problem was, as the scripture says it very plainly, as God looked at it, he despised his birthright. You know, one of the jobs that any preacher has, but especially a pastor has, is to try to get people to look at things as God looks at it. As a matter of fact, we have verses like this, ye that love the Lord hate evil. If I love the Lord, I ought to hate evil. I should not treat it with ambivalence like, ah, it doesn't matter. It matters. I mean, when you've got the high percentage of young people in our independent Baptist church, I say high percentage, to me it's a high percentage, of over almost 40% who don't see what's wrong with same-sex marriage. We've got a bunch of people that are not being taught to honor their birthright. And the job of teaching them right about that belongs to the parents. We have a responsibility to teach them what it means to be a Christian what it means to be an heir, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans 8, 16 and 17, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. In Romans 8, 28, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Our birthright literally is the new birth right. We belong to him. In Ephesians, he tells us that there are some sins in chapter 5 that are not even to be named once among the brethren. Now, why is that? Because of who we belong to. Because of who... People, when they see us, they judge our Christ on the basis of our testimony. We are king's kids, and we are to live like it. We find some people who lost the birthright in the Bible. And I want to cover a few of those because there are lessons for us, as the Bible clearly teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that the things that were recorded there in the Old Testament were for us and for our admonition that we would not do the things that they did. And God forbid that God's people, God's children, should be despising their birthright. You say, how can we despise our birthright? Well, just looking at Esau, first of all, it is gratifying the now. A mess of pottage now. 
and amazing what he would sell to take care of a little bit of hunger. I mean, he could have gotten some of his servants to fix food. I've thought about this story a lot. He was a hunter. Hunters know how to cook their meat. I mean, they clean the deer. They know how to cut off a piece and roast it over a fire and get a bite to eat if they're hungry. I don't have any doubt Esau knew exactly how to do that. This was a rich family, Jacob's, or uh, Esau, uh, I'll get it right. Isaac's family was a rich family. They had a lot of money. They had servants. How easy would it have been to say, fix me some food? Now, after all, he said, but you say, preacher, he was at the point of death. No, he wasn't. That's what he said. Understand this, that the Bible, the Bible accurately records what he said. But that doesn't mean he was telling the truth. He was not about to die. He would have already taken care of it if that would have been the thing. Have you ever said, man, I'm starving to death? And I think just about all of us could go a few days more without even eating if we had to, and we would survive. Isn't that right? What we mean by starving to death simply means we're hungry. It doesn't mean we're going to die in the next few minutes. It doesn't mean that at all. And that's what he did. Man, I'm at the point of death. I smell that food. I, I don't know about you, but there are just some foods that when you smell them, you automatically get hungry whether you were hungry before or not. He smelled the food that his brother was making. After all, Jacob was the chef. Isaac was the, Jacob, Esau was the hunter. Uh, That's the way that it is. But it's amazing how many will sell their birthright to satisfy the now. From movies to dating to drugs, wanting the now. We want to be gratified now. Doesn't make a difference if it's right, if it hurts our testimony. We just know what we want and we want it now. Many young couples are willing to sell their birthright by wanting everything now. They get married and think they ought to have a three-bedroom house. They ought to have brand new furniture in every room. They ought to be driving a new car, and they'll hock everything to be able to have what it took their parents 30 years to get. And so they get into debt, and then they get into trouble. And what happens? Lo and behold, they start fighting with one another over money issues that never should have been raised. I got news for you. You can go down to Goodwill and you can go to the thrift store. You can take care of just about everything that you really need. You don't have to have the finest. Take it from us old people. Most of us made it pretty good without going many thousands of dollars into debt. We don't have to have everything. Back then, even if you couldn't afford a new house, then you rent it. Well, you're just throwing money away. Let me tell you something. At 10% interest, which is what loan interest was back when I moved to Madison, Alabama, at 10% interest, you waste a lot of money on that. What kind of investment? And what about when the housing market crumbles and suddenly your house goes from $300,000 to only worth $150,000? What a great investment. It's like playing the stock markets. And by the way, that doesn't count the fact that you've got to pay the government rent on whatever house you buy every year you've got it. Now, we have cheap uh, property taxes in this state, and I don't like where it's at. When they go to raise it, I go trotting down there to complain every time. 
But I've got friends in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, New York, whose houses are about the same size as mine, and they're paying $6,000 a year just for taxes. That's over $100 a week to rent their house from the government that they've owned. Well, you don't really own it. Just stop paying your taxes. You'll find out who owns it. See, the reality is it's amazing what people are willing to go into debt for. My wife... She'll remember this. When we first moved here, we'd go around, knock on doors. We'd go back there on the other side of uh, Eastview Drive over the mountain. Uh, down there's some houses just beyond where the uh, Durego's lived. Pretty nice houses. And it's amazing how many of those that you would go into. They had to be, uh, back then, $300,000 homes. But today, those same homes have got to be about $800,000. And the first four rooms that you went into didn't have a lick of furniture in them. And you wonder, why on earth they get such a big house? They can't put furniture in the house. Got to have it now. Got to have it now. You don't have to have things now. You can wait. It's okay to wait. Builds character to work for it and earn it, and then you've got it. That's how most of our parents did it, and they did fine. See, he threw away his birthright because, you see, he wanted to satisfy the now. We were not saved to accumulate, nor were we saved to rob God, and we were not saved to miss services, but we are saved to serve Him. And it's amazing the things that we will buy and get and do that we either have to work a second or third job to be able to pay for, so we got an excuse to miss church and not be faithful to any ministry in church. The danger is people retire from a job and they get things that take them away two Sundays out of four so they can't get involved in any service or any, any serving the Lord in the church and, they're just, and now they're stuck with it. And at a time now when they should have some time free where they can serve the Lord, they're not doing it at all because what they've done, they've gratified the now and given up with any service to the Lord. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We are to be serving the Lord. I feel this way. My rest is coming, and it's not on this earth. It's coming in heaven. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Ephesians 5.3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you, as become a saint. Matter of fact, I look back at this verse in Hebrews chapter 16, uh, chapter 12 in verse 16, and it's interesting how he uses Esau despising his birthright. He says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau. Now, isn't it interesting that he compares what Esau did with a fornicator? with an immoral person. I mean, notice, it, read it again. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. A lot of unfaithfulness to the Lord is simply for self-gratification because of what we perceive 
that we deserve to have. What about what he deserves to get from us? I mean, he bought us. He paid for us with his blood at Calvary. I believe he deserves something. Which is why Paul writes like he does in Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. A lot of unfaithfulness to the Lord is simply for that self-gratification. A lot of people are like that with church. They hop from church to church looking for what I don't know. And there's not a good Bible-preaching preacher, pastor anywhere who hasn't had people leave the church and say, I wasn't being fed there. The truth is, the food was put on the table for them and they didn't eat there. We don't stuff your mouth with it. You've got to eat it yourself. We'll have plenty of food here, for instance, for the picnic. If you come and you leave hungry, that's on you. It's not on us because we got the hamburgers and hot dogs coming. And there's a grill there that if we're not cooking them fast enough, you can go ahead and cook your own. Just slap it on the grill and that'll work. Think about this. Esau's children missed the birthright and the blessing of it because Esau despised his birthright. What he did affected all those that followed him. It affects people. What you do affects people that follow you. So make sure that you stay right with the Lord. Don't sacrifice your birthright to simply fulfill your desires in the now. Here's the second one, immorality. Go over to Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49, we find Jacob wanting to bless his children. And he calls together them together, and he's going to get a blessing. Now, if you study the life of Jacob, Jacob was not a very spiritual individual. His name means supplanter, deceiver. And you can see him doing that throughout his lifetime. Even when the situation got so bad with Esau, you remember when he was coming back, he had left his father-in-law... He had taken his wives and their handmaidens and brought them back down with him. The night that Jacob wrestled with God, God changed his name to Israel. But unlike what God did with Abram, when God changed Abram's name to Abraham, he called them nothing but Abraham for the rest of the time. Even in the New Testament, he still called Abraham. When he changed Sarai's name to Sarah, He called her Sarah from that point on. But when he changed Jacob's name to Israel, in the very next verse, he calls him Jacob again. And you remember when he meets Esau, as Esau brings 400 men up, Jacob is afraid that he's coming to kill him because he remembers what he did when Esau was looking for a blessing from his father. And so when he gets there, Esau says... What is all this stuff that you had out before me? He says, that's yours. Just because I get to see your face, it's yours. He said, fine, let's go on down to my place. And Jacob says, no, if we did that, we'd drive the children. They're tender. And the flocks, we'd drive them and they'd die. 
place. He said, well, okay, why don't you come with me and we'll leave my men here and they'll bring this stuff down. No, no, we've taken care of it. You go on home, we'll meet you down there. Esau leaves. Jacob promptly crosses over the Jordan River and goes to Shechem and that's where he stays. Still a supplanter. And isn't it interesting that when God is giving us the hall of faith, In Hebrews chapter 11, he talks about the great things of Noah and the great things of Abraham and the great things of Moses. When he gets to Jacob, he says, by faith, Jacob blessed his children. That's all he did. That's the only thing of faith that God remembered Jacob for. And notice this. Notice what he says in verse 3. He says, Reuben... Thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power, unstable as water. Thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to my father's bed, then defilest thou thy father's bed, then defilest thou it, he went up to my couch. We find Reuben losing the birthright, in Jacob's family, because of his immorality. What a horrible thing. In Genesis 35, 22, it says, And it came to pass, when Israel dwelled in that land, that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard it. And then in First Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 1, Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but forasmuch as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, and the genealogy is not reckoned after the birthright. He lost his birthright because of immorality. Can a man take fire to his bosom and not be burned? Of course not. How many young people think they can disobey God and not pay the consequences later on? I mean, you know, I don't know how many times I've given in this church simply the truth of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 15 on through chapter 7, dealing with fornication. We're to flee fornication. And our body's the temple of the Holy Ghost. The one sin against the body is the sin of fornication. And so you get to chapter 7 and verse 1, still dealing with fornication. He says, now concerning the things wherever you wrote me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. He hasn't changed the subject. And the reality is they're not to touch until they say, I do. Now, they can go ahead, yes, still get married, but there are going to be consequences in their marriage because they didn't do it right. I want you to understand that. You lose something. Reuben here lost the birthright because, you see, he paid fast and loose with his own body. He didn't take it seriously. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us that we are to, uh, what what is the word? Uh, I've lost the word. What? Our own bodies. It'll come because I'm going to find it. Chapter 4, furthermore, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as ye have received us, how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. 
That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For we know that the commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, and that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Now, it's amazing, just like the trouble I have getting people to understand what God is saying very, very clearly in 1 Corinthians. They've been taught by Hollywood how to date, and they don't understand why God says they're not to touch before they say, I do. Sadly, too many of our Christian parents have a Hollywood mentality to the physical relationship between unmarried people and the physical relationship between married people. And I get the impression that an awful lot of Christians just don't want their kids to publicly shame them. They're not so much interested in the purity of their kids as they are uh, how people view them. When the reality is God tells us very plainly why before marriage there is not to be the necking and the petting and all that other stuff going on. Period. This is good stuff. I'm trying to help you today. Of course, this is stuff that parents ought to be teaching their kids. Amen. In Reuben's case, his dad wanted to bless him, but he couldn't. Doesn't make a difference how much later on he might have wanted to do for good. He He lost it. It's gone. I personally feel this way about pastors. If they commit fornication or adultery, they're no longer qualified to be a pastor. The Bible says, a shame and, report, shame and reproach shall they get that shall not be wiped away. And if that shame and reproach is not wiped away, then they are not blameless. Believe me, they can get forgiven. Hallelujah. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But you understand forgiven is not necessarily qualified. Women are forgiven of all their sins, but they're not qualified to be pastors. qualifications and forgiveness are two totally different things. That man, and what amazes me is when some guy commits immorality and he goes to his church wanting to do the right thing and he says, I'm resigning. I've disqualified myself from the ministry. And then the church says, oh, pastor, we love you. And they vote to keep him in. And what is that about? He's still not qualified. He's still not qualified, period. By the way, I preached this one time at a preacher's fellowship. Had a bunch of preachers who weren't real happy with what I was saying. And that's a shame, but the word of God is plain about this. Pastor's supposed to be blameless. He's got to keep himself right or he's not qualified to be a pastor. Well, think about it. Amnon was next in line to be king. Do you realize, as far as we can tell from the scriptural record and the genealogy of David, he had a son by the name of Chiliab that as far as we... We don't know what happened to him. He's only mentioned in that one time. And we see... So he evidently died. We don't know how. But he's not considered in anything else from that one time of being mentioned. Then you got Amnon. He was the next oldest. He committed immorality with his half-sister, Tamar. Now, all right, he couldn't wait. He had to do it now, and he sacrificing the future for the now. And uh, boy, it sure cost him. It cost him his life. 
he ended up dying at the hand of his brother Absalom. Now, listen, folks, there is always an impact when you sin. And as far as men are concerned, you you might get away with some things for a while, but be sure, as the Bible says, your sin will find you out. You can count on it. David's dead. Ahab's dead. Saul's dead. Because, you see, God knows. And he's made some promises. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The New Testament church had a problem in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I think a lot of their ilk are still around today. They think that because we're under grace, it doesn't matter how you live or what you do. There was a man taken in adultery with his father's wife. And of all things in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the people were proud and puffed up that they were such an open-minded church to have such a one in their midst. And Paul told them that they did wrong. And not only that, the next time they got together, they were to turn such a one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Thank God, evidently, they followed through with what Paul said. And that guy, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, got right which is the purpose of church discipline, to get people right. But if you don't mean business with church discipline, you have taken away a lifeline that they need for doing right and also to protect the testimony of the church. There are things that should be not once named among us. It is a sign of instability. As he said here, Reuben, you're unstable as water. There are a lot of Christians today. They're as unstable as water. You see, a water will take any form of whatever it's in. If it's in a bowl, it'll take the form of the bowl. If it's in a bottle, it'll take the form of a bottle. That's what water does. And if you just jostle it a little bit, it'll slosh around and spill out. I've got in my office, I've got a dehumidifier. And every day at least... And when it's raining, it may have to do it twice a day. But every day at least, it fills up the tank that's about that big. And I have to take it out. And I walk it back to the kitchen to pour it out because it's the only sink we've got that's big enough where I don't have to worry about spilling it all over the floor. But, you know, if I just bump just a little bit, I still spill it on the floor. I've spilled it. I've spilled a good little bit in my office on the floor, then I've got to wipe it up. You know why? Because water is unstable. And there are a lot of Christians like that. It's amazing. They can go to a fundamental Bible-believing church one week. Next week, doesn't bother them, man. They can go to a church. Doesn't even have the King James Bible. They can go to a church. It doesn't take a stand on Jesus being God. Doctrine's not important. And boy, they're just changing it to any shape wherever they're at. That's pitiful. Shouldn't ought to be that way. But that was Reuben. He had a lot of good things to say about him, but he was unstable as water. Well, all right, we looked at Esau, who despised his birthright. We looked at Reuben, who lost his birthright. Well, the next two kids were Simeon and Levi. What on earth happened to them? Well, right here in Genesis chapter 49, notice beginning in verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brethren, instruments of cruelty 
are in their habitations. O my soul, come not thou into their secret, under their assembly, mine honor, be not thou united, for in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Now, you remember the event that took place. Dinah, Jacob's only daughter, went over to Shechem, and there she committed fornication with one of the men of Shechem. Well, that guy fell in love with her, wanted to marry her, and of course, Simeon and Levi came, with a, came up with a good plot to weaken them. And when they were at their weakest state, they went over, took their brethren with them, and they killed the men of Shechem in their anger. They killed the man. You see, the Bible says that the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. We're warned in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, Be ye angry and sin not, and let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Getting angry is not necessarily a sin because God gets angry. And we are made in the image of God. But God's anger is always anger under control. Ours isn't. We get mad and we just do things. It's interesting that all those Marvel gods and people in the Marvel universe, it's amazing how vengeful every one of them are. What on earth, people who allow their kids to get sucked into that Marvel universe, is it any wonder that their kids end up being violent with anybody they consider wrongs them? That's what their gods in the Marvel Universe does. It's what Thor will do. It's what Iron Man will do. It's what, and by the way, they are a lot more violent than what they were when they first came out and I was a kid. And they're much more graphic and their movies are far more graphic and with the music banging. I'll tell you, we live in a day of uncontrolled anger from not just road rage, but all kinds of rage going on uncontrolled anger. Proverbs 12, 16 declares, a fool's wrath is presently known, but a prudent man covereth shame. Proverbs 14, 17, he that is soon angry dealeth foolishly, and a man of wicked devices is hated. Proverbs 19, 11, the discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Proverbs 19, 19, a man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. If thou deliver him, yet thou must do it again. We should be angry at the right things, but even then, it has to be anger under control. Now, I I used to have a bad temper. I mean, I used to have a bad temper. And before I got saved, after I got saved, I still didn't have a good temper, but it was better than what it was before I got saved. It's amazing the number of things that God just changed in my life. As a matter of fact, I might have even been thinking before this event took place, I might have even been thinking how I didn't get angry like I used to. Man, I used to be a thrower or I'd hit a wall or so. I didn't hit people. I hit inanimate objects, you know, which could be bad if you hit a wall that doesn't, well, you know, sheetrock and put, hit it between the studs and you'd put a nice hole in some sheetrock. Done that before. Uh, but we had a guy in the church one day when I was pastoring at Tennessee Ridge, he called me up about 10 o'clock at night. He was a single man. He had three T 
teenage children, two boys and a girl. And he called me up and said, Pastor, I don't know what I'm going to do with these kids. I'm having so much trouble with these kids. Pastor, can you come over here tonight? I said, fine, Howard, I'll come. And so I got in the car and I drove over to where he lived. Now, where he lived, uh, it was a new housing development, not like what we got around here. Those houses weren't all that expensive back then even and wouldn't be all that expensive today. But as you drove down his street, on one side, the driveway would go down. On the other side, you were up the hill a little bit higher. Well, he was on the side where it went down. And so when I pulled into his driveway, I got up, parked my car, and I went inside to talk to him. Now, on the other side of the street was a vacant lot, and it had all kinds of weeds and stuff grown up. Uh, You say, why is that important? You'll find out in just a minute. So I go inside, and I said, Howard, what's the problem? And so he started telling me. And while he was telling me, I looked at his three kids, all of them teenagers, two boys and a girl. And here they are sitting on the couch while while Howard is talking. And they're doing this. I'm going to tell you what. You want to push my buttons, teenagers. That is the way to do it. Finally, I just had enough. I saw red and I just didn't see red. I got tunnel vision. I mean, my vision went down to here. And I went over. I said, shut up, Howard. And I put my finger in the first guy's face and I I screamed at him. I yelled at him, you sorry, low down. No respect for your dad. And then I went to the other boy and boy, I put my finger in his. I let him have it. And then I went to the girl and I did the same thing with her. And I said, man, that's it. I'm done with you. And I walked out the door. Now, I said I was a thrower. I had my keys in my pocket. I was just so angry. Man, alive. I took my keys and I threw them at the grill of my car. But when you're really mad, you don't have that good aim. I missed the grill of my car and I hit the windshield. And the windshield, you know, was tilted. And it was like a launching pad. It hit that windshield and disappearing into the night over into the field on the other side of the street. I didn't have a spare key. I didn't have a flashlight. If we'd have had cell phones in those days, I'd have called my wife and said, "Hun, bring your key so I can get out of here. I went over. It was hopeless. There was no street light over there. Couldn't see anything. There's only one thing I can do. Go back down to their house. See if they got a flashlight. So I went down. I knocked on the door. And one of the boys that I had just yelled at opened up the door and said, Preacher, what are you doing back here? I said, you got a flashlight? Well, what do you need a flashlight for? Shut up and get me a flashlight. (laughs) Well, what happened? I threw my keys over across the street. So, hey, they went over and helped me find them. I think they wanted to get rid of me worse than I wanted to leave. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny now. Lord, thank you 
that I didn't do anything more stupid than that. Because when you get really mad, you can do some really bad stuff that you pay for for a long, long time. That was God's protection. So every time I get mad, I think about my keys. Anger under control, which is why the scripture says, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Back in World War II, the submarine that took out the most shipping of any submarine in the U.S. force was the submarine Tang. It was on one of its run, and it settled along a line where Japanese convoys went from place to place. This one convoy went through. They were about to go back to Pearl Harbor to rearm. They only had eight torpedoes left. They fired the first seven, took out seven ships. They fired the eighth one, and it seemed to start out okay, but it got about halfway to its target, and the torpedo turned around and started heading back toward them. They tried to do evasive maneuvers, but it didn't work. And they got hit by their own torpedo and sunk. Look it up. It was not named after the orange drink. I don't know who it was named after, but it was the U.S. submarine Tang, the most effective submarine in the U.S. arsenal in World War II at taking, but it was destroyed by its own torpedo. There are a lot of good folks who get destroyed by their own anger. Anger under control. Unfortunately, we find for Simeon and Levi, look at the mess that they made. And don't we see examples of that all the time in sports? You've got these people making millions of dollars for throwing a football or blocking people or throwing a basketball through a hoop, and then they get angry. And they do something that marks the rest of their career, either by some things that they say. Matter of fact, how many politicians do that today and have to come back and apologize because they spoke without being under control. In Nehemiah chapter 13, Nehemiah was angry, but his anger was under control, even though he did take some of the people and tear the beard out of their face, but he was still under control. Psalm 97 and verse 10 says, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Proverbs 8, 13, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy in the evil way. And the, fro- pardon me, and the froward mouth do I hate. One night I was preaching. I was pastoring Pinewood Baptist Church in North Chattanooga. And I was preaching on 2 Samuel chapter 6, the situation with Uzzah. And I was into it, man. I was preaching on the holiness of God, and uh, I got carried away. Now, we've got some other preachers in our church. We've got great older fellows like Brother Popwell and Brother Weeks and so on. I know they've never done anything like this in the pulpit. But I was trying to make the point of how holy God was. And I said, just think, folks, all as it did was reach up and touch the stupid thing. Man, I can picture that like it was yesterday. As soon as it came out of my mouth, I thought, good night. God killed him for touching it. What's he going to do to me for talking about it like that? And right there on the platform, 
I got down on my knees and just begged God to forgive me for not being more under control. Too many times we try to justify those things that we do like it's not that bad. No, that's bad. That's bad. The spirit of the prophet, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 14, is subject to the prophets. The prophet's responsible for what he says. That leads me to the final point in this. You say, what on earth happened to Judah? Because although the birthright itself actually goes to Joseph, and yet the line of Christ will end up going through Judah, according to chapter 49 and verses 8 through 10. But in chapter 38, we find Judah following some of the same path here as Reuben and following the same path as Simeon and, uh, and Levi. But you see, he had, a, he had a son, he had three sons, and his one son married Tamar, but he died. He was an evil man. God killed him. So she married his brother. He was an evil man. God killed him. But Judah did not give his last son to Tamar. And so she went home, and one day when she heard that Judah was coming into town, she dressed herself up like a lady of the night and went down, and he went in under her and then found herself pregnant. Now, he didn't have any money to pay her, and so he gave her a staff and said he'd send somebody in with money the next day. He did that, but nobody could find her. He did not know it was Tamar. She had the veil on, everything. He didn't know this was his daughter-in-law. He finds out a couple months later that she's expecting. And so he says, go get her, bring her here. She's to be put to death. And she stood up before them all and she said, by the man whose these things are, am I thus with child? And Judah says, she's more righteous than me. Judah gets right. Judah gets humble. That's kind of like the difference between Saul and David. Saul is confronted with his sin and he lied first of all and then he tried to shift blame to other people. He wouldn't be honest about it. When David committed his sin, which seems to be far worse, when the prophet of God withstood him, he simply cried, I have sinned. So the line of Christ ends up coming through, not Reuben, not Simeon, not Levi, ends up coming through Judah. Because he did that, which is something after God's own heart. How we respond when we have sinned, we don't belong to ourselves. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Romans 14, 12, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let's not despise our birthright. We live in an extremely wicked day. It's amazing. Brother Pop, well, I know you know it, but there's things that they're talking about and doing publicly today that they never would have done back 40 years ago. And they think they're free. They're not free. They're in bondage to sin, and they can't get away from it. And, they're, you know, if there was no God, it wouldn't make any difference, but there is, and he's holy. He is angry with the wicked every day, the Scripture says. And yet he loved him enough to still put his son on the cross of Calvary to offer salvation to everybody.
that'll turn to him. What an amazing God that we have. Folks, for those of us who've been saved, let's not despise our birthright. Let's not count it, this matter of being a born-again believer, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. May we see that that is such a high position. We should live differently. We should act differently. We should speak differently because of our birthright. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Use these things, I pray, to teach us, to instruct us, to help us to be what you want us to be, that we better honor and glorify your most holy name. Lord, there may be some that you're dealing with their hearts about any number of things that ought to come forward tonight and simply get right with you. If there's anybody here that needs to be saved, we pray they'd come to Jesus and be saved tonight. Blessing this invitation, I pray in Jesus' name.